Let's take the Word of God and turn to, if you would, with me to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, as we will begin reading here as we've continued in the study, Stephen is standing before the uh, Sanhedrin Council. The result of this sermon is going to be his death. They're going to be uh, so upset about what he has said. They're going to gnash on him with their teeth. They're going to put, like uh, petulant little children, their hands over their ears, and they're going to rush at him, drive him out of the city, and stone him. What is it that he said that caused such an uproar? And as we look here in Acts chapter 7, what we, we learn a number of things, but we learn what the problem is with man. Uh, what is wonderful about the Bible is that it tells us exactly what is wrong with man. You know, if you look throughout history, uh, what, how would you describe civilization? Well, civilization is, is a testimony of man attempting to solve human problems without God. That's what you see. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen has been accused of speaking blasphemous words against God, against the law, against Moses, and against the temple. And in those accusations, the high priest gives Stephen an opportunity to respond, and Stephen is going to respond. And what he does throughout this chapter, which is, by the way, the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts, uh, we find that Stephen is going to go through a history of the children of Israel, and he's going to pick out three individuals to use as examples and show that what's happened throughout history with the children of Israel, is still the same problem on that day when he preached to the Sanhedrin Council. And I could say with certainty this morning that it's still the same problem today in the 21st century. And what we learn here in Acts chapter 7 is that man has not changed, man does not change, he is always the same. It's packaged differently, but it's always the same. And he began with Abraham and talked about the covenant that God made with Abraham he went on to talk about Joseph, how Joseph was, if you would, God's deliverer, God's messenger, and he was envied of the patriarchs. They rejected him. They refused him. He goes on to talk about Moses, and he, as he deals with Moses, he points out to us exactly where they went astray, exactly what they did. What did they do? Well, in verse 25, we see that when Moses was going to bring them out of Egypt, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel, they understood not, they did not understand, that God was going to use Moses to bring deliverance to the children of Israel as it had been prophesied back in Genesis 15 to Abraham. Then the second thing we learn is that they, according to verse 35, is that they refused the messenger of God as authoritative. They looked at Moses and they said, Who made thee a ruler and a deliverer over us? And so they refused that deliverer. And the third thing that we noted that Stephen speaks about in verse 39 is that they would not obey the law that God had given to Moses. So they did not understand. They refused the messenger. 
And they did not obey the message. And what he does here, he shows them that they have done the same with Jesus Christ. They have not understood who he is. They have refused him. And by consequence, they have not obeyed what God has said concerning him. And the truth is that nothing has changed since then. Why do people today not obey? Why do people today not receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And we find the reason laid out here in Acts chapter 7. And uh, we ask ourselves uh, here two questions. Why did those men that were part of the Sanhedrin council, why did they refuse Jesus Christ? Why did they not understand why did they not obey? And we could ask the question today in the 21st century, why do people not understand? Why do they refuse Jesus Christ? And why do they not obey? And now Stephen goes further into detail to explain what has caused them to go astray. Why did they not understand? We know they did not understand. We know they refused the messenger. And we know that they did not obey the message that God. But the question is, why did they not understand? Why did they refuse God's messenger? And why did they not obey the law that God had given through Moses? And here were the members of the Sanhedrin council. These men, by the way, by all measure, were not idiots. They were smart men. They had positions of leadership today. They were able men. But why did they reject the gospel? Why does the world today still reject the gospel? And someone might pause and say, Well, it is because we are in the 21st century and now we are smart. We are advanced and we know better than any generation before us has ever known. And they think that the reason why people reject the gospel today as they contend is because now man is better, man can think for himself, and man has now reached the place where he no longer needs God. The only problem with that is that is not true throughout all history, and it is not true today. I would contend today that if the world says that, that they would refer to all of you if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as an ignorant person who knows nothing as... An idiot, but it's not about intellect at all. As a matter of fact, you can take uh, two uh, young men in a classroom and a teacher teaches and you ask the teacher, well, which one's smartest? Well, they both have about the same grades. They both have the same abilities. But the truth is that one is a Christian and one is not. And we ask ourselves, well, wait a minute, if they both have the same intellectual ability, if they have uh, the same grades, and if they seem to be just as intellectual and as smart as the other, why is one a Christian and why is the other not? You see, the truth is it has nothing to do with intellect. There's a problem that is much deeper than that. And what Stephen is doing here is showing them exactly what the problem is. And I want to answer that question, Why? We know they did not understand, we know they refused, and we know they did not obey. But why? Stephen tells us. Let's pick it up in verse 37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. 
This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them. And here it is. This is where we begin to pull the curtain away and to ask ourselves, what is the root issue? Notice verse 39. But they thrust him from them and in their, what's the next word? Hearts turned back again into Egypt. Verse 40. Saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we would not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the work, works of their own hands. Then God gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in this book of the prophet, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, he took up the tabernacle of Moloch, and of the star of your god Rephan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Now I want to bring your attention here to verse 39. We have read that they did not understand, they refused, and here we just read in verse 39 that they would not obey. But why, the Bible tells us, in their hearts they turned back again into Egypt. I want to preach this morning on their hearts turned back. I want to ask this question again. Why did the Sanhedrin council not believe? Why were there Jews who were familiar with the scriptures? Why did they not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did the children of Israel in the Old Testament uh, not receive Moses, not obey Moses, and not submit to the authority that, that God placed over them in the person of Moses? Why did they do all that? And the Stephen here identifies the problem. And I want to speak to this problem in three phases as it is developed here as Stephen is preaching. And the first thing we learn is, we ask the question, why? Is first of all, because of their heart. Because of their heart. The Bible tells us that in their hearts they turn back again into Egypt. Now I want us to go, if you go with me to the book of Exodus in chapter 14, I want us to go and spend some time a little bit in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers and to try to see if we find a pattern in the behavior and in the hearts of the children of Israel. Now, by the way, after they have seen God perform ten miracles, the ten plagues, after they were brought out and they uh, come to the Red Sea and, and uh, they have uh, the Egyptians chasing them and, and now they don't know where to go and God opens up the sea and they walk on dry ground, they set up a memorial to testify as to what God has done. And, but then for a while they go through the wilderness wanderings and they come to uh, the edge of the promised land. And, and they, 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 keep, they keep repeating certain things throughout this journey. What is it? Well, look with me, Exodus 14. Notice with me verse 11 and 12. 
If you go to verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with uh, thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? Now remember, they had rejected Moses. They had refused Moses. And here they bring that back up after they've been brought out through those ten plagues. He says, Didn't we tell you? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. What happens here? Their hearts turn back to Egypt. And for just a moment we ask ourselves, well, I don't think here that this rebellion has anything to do with their intellect. As a matter of fact, it would be the opposite here. Don't they remember what happened? You remember that Pharaoh made their work harder. He didn't even provide for them the materials to make brick. You remember it was Pharaoh that killed all the children. Uh, it was not like everything was well in Egypt. They were crying out when God heard the cry of the children of Israel. He remembered His covenant with them. And so they were crying. They were in distress. But here something happens. A little adversity in the present. And all of a sudden their heart is turning back to Egypt. We could go over to chapter 16. Not far after that. Now, by the way, they cross the sea. <laughs> they're delivered. They got now, they're in the wilderness wanderings. They have no food. And here they go again, chapter 16, verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the uh, uh, flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full for ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger and so here he says we want to go back to Egypt you go over to chapter 17 again in verse 3 and the people thirsted there for water and the people murmured against Moses and said wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. So what is happening? Their hearts are turning back to Egypt. We could even go to the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, this is the record here of the wilderness wanderings. And uh, if, we, if we turn with me to chapter 11, Numbers chapter 11, notice verse 5. The Bible says, We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Amen. Some of us here are starting to rumble here. <laughs> we remember what it, we had, what, what it was like in Egypt. We, do you see the word they used here? We could eat free. They weren't free. But something is happening in their heart where they're, they're turning back to Egypt. Again, in chapter 14, we could read verse 3 and 4. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. You see, they want now to appoint a new leader. Let's get another man in charge and he's going to lead us back 
uh, to, to the land of Egypt. On and on and goes. What, how, what is happening here? Their hearts turned back. We ask ourselves, what is unbelief rooted in? Uh, It is evident here that Stephen, as he's trying to preach to the Sanhedrin Council, it is evident here that they were men of unbelief. They did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not believe that Jesus Christ uh, could provide salvation. Uh, And so they did not believe. But we ask ourselves, what is unbelief rooted in? Well, it is interesting that as Stephen brings that up, he talks about the children of Israel turning their hearts back to Egypt. We read, it is evident that they did so over and over again, both in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers. But if you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, we find here that this is brought up again. And what we learn here in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 is what unbelief is rooted in. What is the trouble with man? So notice with me Hebrews, let's go to chapter 3. Let's uh, begin reading in verse 5. Notice the Bible says, And Moses verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Like what? As in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their what? Hearts. And they have not known my way, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you, here it is, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so we ask ourselves, Stephen is preaching to the Sanhedrin Council, and they are unbelieving, but here he is trying to show them that what they're doing now is exactly what the children of of Israel did then, and he is showing them that their problem is not an intellectual problem, it is a heart problem. And the reason why they are unbelieving is because their hearts are turning back to Egypt. Now, let me say this. It is evident that as we look at our society all around us, that those who are in politics, they, it is clear that they believe that the answer to all the ills of society is an intellectual problem. Why? Because of what they always say. Well, if we just had better schools. Well, if we could just go and if we think about what's going on in Afghanistan, do you know what our government was, was doing, uh, paying to teach, to be taught there in Afghanistan? You know what they were teaching them? Gender fluidity. And we were paying for that, for them to teach that to Afghan people. Why? Because they have this, this corrupt idea that they can somehow solve uh, the, 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 the problems of all these people and their poverty if they just teach them because they think that the problem with man is an intellectual problem and if you just educate them and if you teach them then all everything's going to be better and I say that they have it all wrong 
It has nothing to do with the fact that someone is not intellectually knowledgeable about certain things. It has everything to do with the heart. All the programs that you find in society, all the addiction programs and all the societies and all the funds they try to raise as well, if we just educate people, then it will make everything better and it still has not made anything better. Why? Because they don't deal with the heart. And so here, the problem here is the heart. Where What is unbelief rooted in? It is rooted in the hardness of the heart. It is called an evil heart of unbelief. So what is happening in their hearts? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 7. Notice what Stephen says as he refers back to their heart. He says this, In their hearts, they turn back again into Egypt. Now, we know where they are. God's providing manna from heaven. God opened the sea for them to walk through. God brought water out of the rock. God changed the bitter waters of Mara and made them sweet for them. And yet somehow, in their thinking, they think that they had it better in Egypt. So what is happening? You see, what we find in the Sanhedrin Council is what we find in the children of Israel is that they were deceived by their heart. Just like the children of Israel were deceived by their hearts, you see, their hearts turned and they thought somehow, some way, that what they had in Egypt was better than what they had now to see God provide for all that they had. But what deceives their hearts. In other words, what is it that leads them astray? We think about the heart, we think about the, the, the emotions and, and the passions, and often when people are uh, in the midst of difficult circumstances, their heart leads them astray. They often come deceived by the lust of the flesh, by, by what their heart desires, by what their heart craves. And so we see here, if you notice what happens after that. So in their hearts, they turn back into Egypt, and notice what that caused them to do. Verse 40 saying unto Aaron, this is what a heart that turns back looks like. Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we would not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. What is it that deceives the heart? You know what deceives the heart? Here it is. We see here that unbelief was rooted in their heart, but also unbelief is rooted in their flesh. What is it that leads the heart astray? The flesh. The lust of the flesh. You see, what was happening is Moses was up into a mountain, and they were down here waiting, and they were looking at their present circumstance. And they thought to themselves, we don't know what's happened to Moses. We're going to raise up a a leader of our own. We're going to make us a God. Let's go back to the book of Exodus and look at that record in Exodus chapter 32. Let's look at what happened here and what uh, they determined to do. Exodus chapter 32. Notice with me verse 1. 
Exodus 32, verse 1, the Bible says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together to, unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we would not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fastened it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be the gods of Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Do you see the scene? What is happening here is there is a moving of the people because they're thinking, well, Moses is delaying. We're not sure what is happening to him. What is happening here? What are they thinking? Why are they saying these things? Why do they want a God? Because they're being led by their emotion. They're being led by their flesh. It is interesting that every time throughout their wilderness wanderings, from the time they left Egypt and they're through the Exodus, and then they go through the book of Numbers, they're always complaining. But notice, every time they complain is when? When their circumstances, in their circumstances, they experience difficulties. Oh, we can't go anywhere. The sea is in front of us. The Egyptians are behind us. We're looking at our present circumstances. We want to go back to Egypt. The flesh says, I want to go back. I, I, I want to go back there. The flesh deceives itself. The heart turns and says, I, I, I don't want to deal with my difficulties right now. They go on and they proceed. God brings them through. They experience a great victory. But then they go and they, they don't have the food that they think that they had in Egypt. And because of their manna. And by the way, it's not that they didn't have food. It's that God kept giving them food every day. <laughs> and they were tired of eating the same thing. Their present circumstances. The flesh. You see that? I, I want something better. I want something more. Uh, we go there, there's no water. And they think to themselves, well, let's go back to Egypt. Did you bring us here to die? And what I'm seeing here is that uh, their present circumstances, the flesh rises up and says, uh, I want something better. I want something more. I want something that we had over there that we think is better. You see, their heart is deceived by the lust of the flesh. They have cravings. And that's all they care about. You know, that is exactly what the Bible describes as the condition of man. If you go with me in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians. Now the Apostle Paul here is writing to believers, people who have been born again. They've been quickened by the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, he reminds those believers what they once were. And notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so, this is where you were before you were saved. And here is what he says. This is what you were like. This is the description of man. Verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the 
lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so the Apostle Paul says, let me tell you what you were like. Do you remember what you were like? You used to live by your passions. You used to follow the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And uh, you were led astray by uh, trying to bring in all the things so that your flesh could consume it. But you've been quickened by the Spirit. Uh, James says uh, really the same thing in the book of James in chapter 4. Here he is uh, speaking about where does the struggle come in man. And he says in James chapter 4 verse 1 and 2, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war. Ye have not because ye ask not. First John chapter 2, he tells him all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So their hearts turn back, but why did their hearts turn back? Because they wanted to have a better situation for their lust of the flesh to be fulfilled. That's what they wanted. Let's go back to Egypt. We think that going back to Egypt and consuming food and water in our livelihood was better there in bondage than it is here with God by faith. Me, meeting my own fleshly appetites, is better than living by faith. And I'd rather do that. That's the problem with man. Man in the world will always live by his passions. We ask ourselves, we look at throughout human history, we say, oh, look at all those wars. And you know what happens? Then the nations come together, and then they have a peace treaty, and then a few years later that treaty is broken, and they go back to war. And we ask ourselves, well, hasn't man become smarter? You see, it is not an intellectual problem. It is a heart problem. Why are we not getting better? Because the heart has not been dealt with. And the heart is led by the passions of the flesh. By the way, this is what happened to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit. The heart was led astray. Why? Because she saw something that she could consume that she thought would satisfy her. And the world today is consumed with chasing things that they think is going to satisfy them and that is why they have a heart of unbelief. They are more interested in lusting after things and getting those things than they are in trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Men reject the gospel because they are governed by their hearts. They reject the gospel because they love evil and they want to remain as they are. That's the problem with the world. Jesus said so. He said uh, that light has come into the world but men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. You see, the reason why people don't come to the Lord Jesus Christ is because they love the flesh too much and they love the lust of the flesh too much. But there's one more thing that happens. What is this, what is this unbelief rooted in? It's rooted in the heart. 
It's rooted in the flesh, the passions of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. But thirdly, it is because ultimately of their pride. Do you see what happens? Go back to Acts 7. It's interesting here what happens. By the way, those who are part of the Sanhedrin council, they know what happened. They know what happened in Exodus 34. They know what their fathers did. And notice what he tells them. The people turn in their hearts back to Egypt, verse 39, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, as, uh, for as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we would not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced, here it is, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. There it is. Do you see it? What do they want? They didn't want to come to God and say, God, would you speak to us? They wanted to make their own God. They didn't want to rejoice in the God that had brought them out, that had delivered them, that offered them deliverance and a promised land. They did not want to come to that God. They wanted to come to a God of their own making, of their own imaginations, and they wanted to have it their own way. And they said, you know what? We're going to do something and we're going to rejoice in the work of our own hands. That is exactly what Cain did. When God required a sacrifice, what did Cain come to? He came to God with his own sacrifice. I'm not going to offer an animal. I'm not going to have the blood shed. I'm going to offer God the fruit of the vine. And God didn't want that. But that was the work of his own hands. After the flood, we see the Tower of Babel. What did man do? We want to come and we want to reach God on our own turn. We want to build a tower by the work of our own hands. That's always been the trouble with man. Man does not want to submit to God. He wants to do something on his own. This is what I've done. And today we have churches that are filled with people who think that they are righteous. They think that they are going to come to God on their own conditions. But you don't come to God on your own conditions. You come to God on His conditions. You see, that is the trouble with man. Their hearts turn back. Why did their heart turn back? Because the flesh wants to consume things upon its loss. And ultimately man does his own way because he wants to be God. He doesn't want to be ruled by God. So the only way that you're not going to be ruled by God is you make your own God. And you see what he is saying to the Sanhedrin council on that day. He says, you have made your own God. You're just like your fathers. All that you've built here, the Sanhedrin council, all that you've done, that's the work of your own hands. And you're just like your fathers. Nothing has changed. Now notice what happens. Verse 42, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, ye have offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. So I say to us that unbelief today, we ask ourselves, why do people not believe the gospel? Why do people not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And I show you from the Bible, it's because man has not changed. Man has a heart that is desperately wicked above all things. And man is led by emotions, by his flesh, and he's chasing the lust over here, and the lust over here, and the lust over here. And ultimately, man 
has declared himself to be God. And therefore he will not submit to the gospel. So you know what God does? God eventually says, Okay. Have it your way. And in the end, see where that brings you. Do you see the scene? I, I, that's what Stephen mentioned. Ten plagues brought them out of Egypt. God parted the sea. They walked through it on dry ground. It was not moist. It was dry. They built a memorial. They go through the wilderness wanderings. They need food. And God says, well, I'll send quail. Send manna from heaven every day. Just take what you need because God will provide for you tomorrow. They're wandering around. They're running out of water. And God says, well, here's water. Oh, the bitter waters of Mara. Here, just throw this tree in there and they'll be made sweet. And then they come to the mountain where God wants to speak to them. And they say, let us make us a God. No one would say that's intelligent. Everybody would say, well, What are you doing? You see, it has nothing to do with man's intellect. These people knew what God had done. They knew the facts. They were there. They experienced it. But yet their passions are so strong that even though they know the truth, they know what God has done, the pull of the heart and the lust of the flesh And the pride of life is so strong that even though they knew all those things, they still want to turn back to Egypt. It's the same today. It's the same today. You see, we wonder today, this message helps us because I believe as Christians, when you find all the politicians and all the news anchors and they're all blabbering about everything and trying to solve the problems of the world, they will never solve anything. And they they come to this book and tells us, this is the issue. And Stephen puts it right before the Sanhedrin Council and says, this is your issue. And I say to you today, if you're not a born-again Christian, I've just told you what your issue is. Your heart is wicked. And you, the reason why you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ is because you are more interested in fulfilling the lust of the flesh than you are in trusting Jesus Christ. And you are more interested in making yourself a God than submit to the God of the Bible. But there's good news. If you get to the place where you see where you're wrong and you see that God is right, God sent His Son Jesus Christ to die to pay for your sin debt. God hath made Him Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And what you have to do is you have to change your evil heart of unbelief and turn to the living God. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There has to be a heart change. And you have to love what God did more than you love your sin. And that you have to dethrone yourself 
and put God on the throne where he deserves to be. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I wonder if there's anybody this morning who said, Pastor, I'm not certain that I'm a Christian. As a matter of fact, if I die today, I'm not certain that I'd go to heaven. But God smote my heart this morning, and I recognize my error and the wickedness of my way. And I see the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for me, and I want to trust him as my Savior. And if someone could show me from the Bible how I can know that for certain today, I would like to know that. Anybody this morning, you'd raise your hand and say, that's me. I would like to make for certain today that I'm a Christian. Let me ask you this, Christian, I know we've, Stephen is preaching to the Sanhedrin Council, but the truth is, we are still in this earth and we're still in the flesh. And every once in a while, that heart, that wicked heart, comes back and seeks to elevate itself and sometimes we we follow the passions of our flesh where the flesh leads us. Sometimes we if we just admit it we we are content to put ourselves on the throne. And as Christians that should cause us to to be in grief. That's man.